back. Down a little bit, down a little bit. There we go, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. There we go, we'll call that good. It might still need to go down just a little bit, tad more. But if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of First Peter. First Peter, chapter 1. As you can probably tell, we're starting a new sermon series today. Uh, we finished up our time in Ruth and then had a couple of rest weeks while I was putting together this sermon series. Um, and this series is going to last between five to eight weeks. And it is entirely based out of First Peter and right from the get-go, what I want you to understand about First uh, Peter is that it is about living a different type of life than the world. Throughout this entire book, we're going to pick up on that. Uh, and so today, as is my habit with uh, sermon series out of books of the Bible, I'm going to start with a lot of uh, background information uh, based on the book, authorship, uh, some historical context to sort of put you into the right place for this particular book. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and this is what God's word says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So the first thing that you need to know about this particular book of the Bible is that it's dated somewhere between 54 and 68 AD during the reign of Nero. Now, normally what I would do is tell you that there are uh, two schools of thought on this particular uh, time frame. Some people in a minority believe that it was actually much later, sometime almost in 100 AD that this book was written. However, there's almost no historical or church uh, information to back up that claim. So rather than sort of waste my time on that very minority opinion, I'm going to be stating that uh, sort of in the affirmative that this is the time when it was written. It was written during the reign of Nero, who was really the first Roman Empire to institutionalize the persecution of Christians. Up until this point, Christians are sort of uh, skated under the radar. They had been dispersed from Jerusalem and, and been sort of kicked out through the Roman Empire, but they still enjoyed a little bit of an all right life and existence. And it was only under Nero that the uh, persecution of Christians really was kicked up a notch and it became a part of their system of government to oppress, uh, oppress Christians. In fact, Nero is one of the emperors that was famous. He would have outdoor garden parties. And what he would do is uh, when the evening dropped and the lights went out, he would actually tie Christians to the top of giant stakes and light them on fire so that uh, he could uh, enjoy the light of his garden parties by burning Christians alive. That's the type of gentleman that we're talking about. That's the situation of First Peter. Nero is not a very happy camper. Uh, in First Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Peter refers to Babylon, and many people believe that this is actually a reference to Rome for the simple reason that Peter, who was in Rome at the time this book was written, wanted to write in code. Uh, Romans had the habit of opening mail and sort of perusing it just in case there was anything against the empire, anything that would uh, cause the empire to fall. And so Peter knew that his book was going, or his letter rather, was going to be re uh, read 
So he started using some code language. So when he refers to Babylon in this book, he's in fact referring to Rome. As I said, he probably wrote uh, somewhere in the Neronian persecution, likely 62 to 63 AD. And this is the big theme of the, the book of First Peter. This is the theme that you're going to find is going to trace its way through every single sermon uh, of this particular series. And that's this. Those who persevere in faith while suffering persecution should be full of hope for they will certainly enjoy end time salvations since they are already enjoying God's saving promise here and now through the death and resurrection of Christ. The theme is quite simple. Right now in your life as a Christian, you are enjoying the salvation given to you as a free gift of God through Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that suffering will not happen in your life. It does not guarantee that your life is going to be filled with rainbows, lollipops, unicorns, and all things fantastic. What it means is that even if or even when the suffering comes, you can persevere in faith through it. We're going to come back to that slide over and over and over again, this sermon series. The themes of suffering and persecution in the joy of God. Now, here's where things get interesting. Peter, up until uh, a certain point in the book of Acts, was a very Jew-first preacher. He believed that salvation came from the Jews to the Jews primarily, and the Gentiles were invited into that because of Jewish participation. However, somewhere in the book of Acts, his mindset shifted after God came and sent to him a vision. We'll get to that a little bit later. And so most scholars believe at this point when he's writing this epistle, that it's actually going out to Gentiles as opposed to Jews. His language that he uses through this book, his details, his now uh, sort of language and, and the entire content of this book is really geared towards Gentiles. Now, this is really interesting for, for a reason that we're going to get into right here. Uh, Peter's full name. It's going to be recorded once in Scripture, and it's this. Peter bar Jonah, or in some translations, Peter ben Jonah. Bar is Aramaic, ben is Hebrew. Uh, they both mean the same thing. It means son. So his full name, the full name of Peter is Peter, son of Jonah. Now... For those that were paying attention, we went through an entire sermon series in what book? Hey, favorite person. I know the rest of you, I know it's hot, but come on guys, let's, let's liven up the party a little bit. So, in the book of Jonah, when God comes to Jonah and says, hey, I want you to go over to Nineveh and spread the, the, uh, the gospel, where did Jonah flee to? to a place called Joppa. He fled to Joppa, or he was headed to Joppa, uh, in order to flee from doing what God says. Now, this is really interesting. So we've got Peter, son of Jonah, and we've got this place called Joppa. Now, in the book of Acts, remember I just said a minute ago that, that Peter used to be Jew-centric, and then suddenly something happened that caused Peter to start preaching to the Gentiles. And in Acts Chapter 9, verses 43, we read this. And he, meaning Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And it was in this particular place that there was a lady who was sick and passed away that 
Simon Peter, or Peter, son of uh, Jonah, decided he was going to go and minister to that family in their grief. And it was in this place that Peter went up to the roof of the house, and on the roof of that house, he had a vision. He had a vision from God who uh, sent sent him a, a vision, if you recall, it was a giant sort of blanket coming down to the roof of the house, and on top of that blanket stood all of the unclean animals, You had your pigs, your heathen stuff, your shellfish, all the stuff that the Jews had said were unclean. And Peter said, I can't can't eat this. I can't partake in this. I'm a Jew. They would make me unclean. And God said to him, what I have created, why should you call unclean? And so in a place called Joppa, Simon, son of Jonah, received a vision of hope. And so the contrast is clear. Jonah, asked by God to bring the message of salvation to the Gentiles, flees to Joppa. And Peter, son of Jonah, received a message in Joppa to bring the message of salvation to the Gentiles. The writer of scripture, Peter, knew his own heritage. And so did God when he gave him the vision of love and acceptance to the Gentiles. Now, this this is the reason why. Up until this point in history, salvation was from the Jews for the Jews. Uh, A person who was a Gentile came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, can you heal me? And Jesus himself said, I have come uh, for my father's people. I haven't come for you. The person responded, yes, but even dogs can eat scraps from the master's table, which is like talk back to Jesus, which is kind of cool. I want to meet that person when I get to heaven. But what I need you to understand about this particular section of Peter is it represents a mind shift in the way that uh, Christianity was being put out into the world. It was gone, it's transformed from a Jew first mentality to an everyone mentality. And then something happened under King Nero. It's called the dispersion. We read it in the opening book. Uh, Peter, uh, opening verse rather, Peter said, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in all these different places. Now, what had happened was, is uh, Christians primarily had lived in a, in a, a tight-knit group in Jerusalem in, and in Samaria. They had lived there uh, and sort of expanded there, and then the Jews started persecuting them heavily. They started uh, uh, killing people led under Paul, then, or Saul rather. Saul became converted and they went to other people to lead that oppression. And so what happened is the Christian populace exploded across the face of the Roman Empire. As far as the Roman Empire stretched, there were sects of Christians popping up over here, over there. There were house churches popping up. There was evangelism happening. There was conversion happening. And the Christian movement started really uh, infringing upon popular culture. Um, what I mean by that is uh, the Romans really loved sacrificing things to idols. That's what they did every other day. Is Once a week there was a festival, you would sacrifice to your idol, you'd get your blessing. But the Christians said, no, we're not going to sacrifice to idols. There's only one God. His name is Jesus. We're going to worship him only. And what happened was that called a tension between the early Christians and the Roman Empire, and it all came down to money. Would you believe Because there is money in selling goats and sheep and chickens to people for the sacrifices. If you pull a plug on the economy, people are going to notice. It's not too different from the world that we live in today, is that everything revolves around money, 
and if you track the money back to its source, it usually explains why people make the decisions that they do. And so back in these, this day, you had the Roman Empire uh, bringing into tension with these new Christians. And so suffering and persecution started to happen at this dispersion. And what's interesting about this dispersion, what's interesting to note, and this is not a fun topic, and you might think, well, that's a little bit ridic uh, ridiculous, but I, w I want you to understand this. Suffering advances the kingdom of God. Without suffering, I'm not saying the kingdom of God doesn't advance, but it advances much more slowly. Suffering, persecution, advances the kingdom of God. The early church was content to stay in this very close-quartered community in Jerusalem and Samaria. But through persecution, they were forced out and thousands upon thousands more became Christians who wouldn't otherwise have heard the saving message of Jesus Christ. Their suffering through the dispersion advanced the kingdom. And then when Nero started persecuting the Christians heavily, that suffering and the way that, we su that they suffered drew people into the message of God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, there's a story about a man who was found to be blind from birth. He was born blind. Um, and, and the disciples, uh, I like the disciples. Sometimes they have some, some really interesting questions of Jesus. Sometimes Peter, being the, actually the worst culprit of this, uh, sometimes has some really idiotic questions for Jesus. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, I really love making fun of Peter. He's my favorite disciple to make fun of. Um, so we're going to have a lot of fun during this book. Um, but these, the, 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 the Jesus comes across this man. He's been born into blindness. He's been blind his entire life. He's never seen a sunrise. He's never seen trees. He's never seen the ocean. He's never seen nothing of anything. He's never seen his parents' face. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, who sinned that he should be born blind? Is it him or his parents? Now, what you need to know is that in the book of Psalms, it says that in sin, uh, you were conceived and you were found within, uh, with iniquity in your mother's womb. So it's both Jewish and Christian belief that you can be found sinful through your sinful nature in the womb. But it also says in scripture that God will punish uh, the sins of the fathers and in, uh, sort of inherit those sins upon the children if the fathers sin. And so the disciples had the question, who is responsible for his blindness? Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? That was the question that they came to. And Jesus had this incredible response. Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents but the works of God might be displayed in him. In another version, it says that the glory of God should be displayed in him. Jesus was not being glorified in the suffering. He was going to be glorified in the healing. And oftentimes, the, the suffering that we endure advances the kingdom forward. And then when that suffering is then healed by God, his glory is elevated. Does that make sense? And so suffering advances the kingdom. Suffering advances the kingdom. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, 
Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Even in suffering, there is grace and peace. And even when you suffer for the sake of the kingdom of God, there is grace and there is peace. Uh, a pastor that I listen to uh, all the time, his name is Matt Chandler, has a saying about suffering. He says, if you live long enough, you will bleed. And what he means simply by that is it's part of human nature to go through suffering. It's part of our human nature to experience suffering. But your character is revealed in how you deal with the suffering. Do you light a fire under people? Do you yell and scream and curse? Do you lose your temper? Or do you, through the grace of God and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, move forward and say, God, how can you use this to glorify your name? How we react to things, I believe, matters. How we react to suffering matters. The reality of human existence is if you live long enough, you will suffer. If you live long enough, you will bleed. If you live long enough, the castle is going to come crashing down around your head. That is just a fact of life, but I don't think I am really telling you anything new that you haven't heard before. But the way that you react when that suffering occurs can either detract from glorifying God or it can glorify God. So that is the question I want to leave with you this morning. In your suffering, if it's either past suffering, did you glorify God? If it's currently suffering, are you glorifying God? And in future suffering, can you, when everything comes crashing down around your head, can you point to heaven and say, God, not for my glory, but for yours? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the book of First Peter. Lord, I ask you to bless this sermon series as we move forward to reveal your will for our lives. I thank you that this is both a timeless book and a timely book, that its message, even though it was written thousands of years ago, does not detract from the importance of Christian living today. I pray, Lord, that you be with us, that you bring us peace in this week until we meet together again. We pray this in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to invite Lenora to give us our blessing. Yeah, I'm going to call it a blessing.